Amen. Okay, so welcome to Theological Equipping Class. We've been walking uh, this semester through our new mission statement, our Parkway mission statement, uh, which is the Parkway Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who delight in him, display his love to one another, and declare him to the world. And so as you know, if you've been here, we've been walking through one of those D words every single week. Delight, display, declare, delight, display, declare. And last week, Lee taught on display, how to disciple one another. And today we're going to go back to delight. We're a little, bit out, a little bit out of order. I'll explain why in just a second. But we'll go back to delight. Uh, how do we meditate on the Bible? So we wanted it to go in that order, delight, display, declare. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, if, some of you may know, Claudia and I are in the process of adopting. And so I was planning to, to teach this a couple weeks ago, and Claudia and I got a call late one night that we had been matched with a birth mom, and that she was having the baby in a day. <laughs> and she lives in El Paso. So we quickly got on a plane, flew there, uh, waited in the hospital. We were in El Paso for a couple of days, and actually during labor, she decided to keep the baby. Uh, so we were very sad, uh, but happy that the mom chose to keep the baby. But Carl stepped up and taught how to disciple your family during that week. Uh, and let me just say, uh, that was a crazy week. We, <laughs> I hung up the phone, called a bunch of people, got all the stuff I was supposed to do that weekend, passed off. Claudia was calling people to come and uh, watch our kids. We were buying tickets, all that sort of stuff. And it was just a time, a week where we got to experience how beautiful the church can be. We had the church caring for us, praying for us, watching our kids, feeding our kids, housing our kids, you know, encouraging us every day. And then kind of in the sadness of coming home, we got to experience the church comforting us and bringing us meals and all those sorts of things. We got the, our, our burdens were borne uh, by you guys. So we're, we're super grateful for that. Even in pain, to see the church act as it is meant to is just an encouraging thing. So that's why we went out of order. We're trying to get back into the delight display, declare order, but it might take us uh, a few weeks. So today we'll look at this delight, how to meditate on the scriptures, which let me just tell you, this teaching, how to, how to meditate, and then the next one I'll do, how to pray the Bible, uh, are some of the most personally transforming things uh, that I've ever experienced. Learning how to meditate on the scriptures and learning how to pray the Bible, I think are the two most, as far as personal devotion goes, most transforming things. Uh, so I'm not just giving you another Christian rule like if you want to, you know, you could do this and you can fast or whatever. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm calling you to something that is just very precious to me because through meditating on the scriptures and who our God is, I've just grown to, to see his beauty so much more. And so I'm excited to do this today. And, and these fit together. If you've noticed all the delights, how to study the Bible We've talked about already how to meditate on the Bible and how to pray the Bible all go together. We're taking them piece by piece. But when Lee taught on how to, how to study the scriptures, he gave that uh, acronym ROYMAP, read, observe, uh, interpret, meditate, apply, and pray. Uh, ROYMAP, so we're just walking through those things slowly and they all go together. But meditation, what we're going to talk about today, I would guess is the most foreign to us and the most skipped in that process. We're good at reading. We have a Bible reading plan. We're decently good at studying. We want to know, we want to understand what are the confusing scriptures talking about. We might be even good at praying afterwards, but this piece is often skipped, which I consider tragic. Uh, David Mathis, who wrote a book that I'll give away today that we've given away before, says, uh, meditation is the high point of receiving God's word. He even says it's, uh, I think, one of the most underrated and misunderstood disciplines of Christianity. And, and I would agree with him. So today we're going to look at this. We're going to look first at uh, what is biblical meditation and why do it? So the what and why. What are we even talking about and why do it? Uh, and then what do we meditate on? So once we've got the idea of what is, what do we actually meditate on or who do we meditate on? And then that very important practical question, how do we do it? You'll know, your notes will get much uglier as I try to give you step-by-step step of how do you do it. So let's, let's look at the first, what is Christian meditation? So let me ask you, when you hear the word meditation, what pops into your mind? Okay. How many of you thought I heard things when you all said that? I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, one at a time. Let's do the hand-raising system. What, what pops in your head? Yes, Brett. Eastern mysticism, 
Great. Mary? Yoga, yes. Monks, yeah. Anybody else? I thought about writing these. I'm like, I'm going to misspell them and then you're just going to be distracted the whole time. All those things are true. Yeah, that's what I think of. Pantheism, being at one with the universe, all those sorts of things. Hands that do this. Ums, right? So let's say it another way. Almost exclusively bad things, right? Meditation, if you just heard somebody, maybe someone in the church say, I was meditating earlier today, I would imagine your reaction would probably be, okay, is that, are we good with that now? Is that a new thing? You know, like that's, we think of primarily bad things. And yet in the scriptures, we see things like this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor, or sorry, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, de- his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, verse 48. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Notice, by the way, it's not just saying, I pray, I read, I meditate. It's just not one of many. Notice the comprehensiveness of these psalmist statements. Day and night, I meditate all the day. It consumes me. It is the thing I'm trying to always do. So here's my question. If meditation is primarily bad, what's the Bible getting at? And why is it describing the Christian life of almost unending meditation? And here's the very, very important clarifier for our day. When there is terrible backwards forms of meditation, there is a radical difference between Christian meditation and Eastern meditation, which is all the transcendental meditation, yoga, all those sorts of things, pantheism, all sorts of Eastern meditation. So here's the difference. Eastern meditation, what we typically think of when we hear the word meditate, is all about emptying your mind, losing yourself so that you can either become one with the universe or reach some you know, nirvana or something like that. But it's all about emptying, emptying, emptying. Christian meditation is the exact opposite. It's all about filling your mind with the truth of God. So rather than emptying your mind, it's all about filling your mind, focusing your mind on God, on the reality of the gospel, on his laws, constantly having them pass through your mind on God's truth, focusing your mind on God's truth. Notice in those verses that we read, on your law, I meditate day and night, right? On the scriptures, I meditate day and night. I meditate on your statutes, your commands, your scriptures are what is constantly filling my mind. So you see that radical difference. I wish there was different names for the two uh, because they quite honestly couldn't be more opposite, but Christian meditation is what we're going to talk about today. And that is what the scriptures, again, would just tell you is, should be just the summary of the Christian life. Should be something that is a unending practice in your life, meditating on God and on his truth day and night. So I have two definitions for you. One is from J.I. Packer that I love from his excellent book, Knowing God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and the ways and the purposes and the promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. Okay, that is a very comprehensive uh, definition. In fact, this teaching is basically unpacking that whole definition. Another one from Alan Chappell, who wrote a really excellent book called True Devotion. 
Meditation is dwelling and uh, is a dwelling, amusing, and abiding upon the things we know of God. It means focusing on the truth, staying with it until it registers as it should. So again, you're seeing the difference. It's not about emptying the mind to become one with the universe. It's about focusing, filling your mind, taking time to be still and know that I'm God. How many times do we read the Psalms and God is constantly saying, wait upon the Lord. Sit still, be silent, and wait upon the Lord. Focusing your mind, letting his truth wash over you. So again, if you, if you think about just the context of your quiet time, you, you read for breadth, you study for depth, and then you meditate. Meditate to take what you've studied, take what you've discovered, and just roll it over in your mind to, to savor it, to marinate in it, as I think Lee taught when he gave his How to Study the Bible. So it's a pausing, it's reflecting on what you've read and what you've studied, just letting it roll over, trying to soak in it. So David Mathis, again, uh, in, a, in a book that I'll give away, he gives this example of uh, tending to your yard and reading, if you want to think of reading the Bible as kind of raking the leaves, you're, you're doing a, something for breadth. Study is kind of like digging in the yard, trying to discover treasures under the ground. And then meditating is like going with a nice glass of iced tea and sitting on the porch with Jesus and just kind of looking at what you've just worked on. And just resting and taking time to say, here's what I've discovered. Here's what I've just seen and the hard work that I've done. And just, just sitting there and letting it roll around in your mind until... The truth isn't just something that you know and understand intellectually, but something that you become to cherish. Something that, if you will, begins to be branded on your heart. It is, as you'll see in your notes next, it's a way of getting things from your head, to use the classic example, getting things from your head to your heart. Meditation causes that journey from intellectual understanding in your head to something becoming precious to you in your heart. It is not about taking in new information. It is about soaking in the information that you've taken in. Does that make sense? So here's uh, uh, another question for you guys. So why that head-to-heart journey uh, you typically hear in, I don't know, fluffy circles. I heard all that in my charismatic days, head-to-heart, that kind of stuff. So it kind of gets rejected for good intellectual theology. So let me ask you, uh, why is it important for information in your head to make its journey down into your heart and to become precious to you. Why is that important? That's where change takes place. Somebody's looking ahead in the notes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, that's where change takes place. Anything else? Let me say it shockingly. It distinguishes you from demons. You know who has... Perfect theology in their head, Satan, all of his demons. Perfect, razor-sharp Trinitarian theology, could articulate it better than you could. Perfect understanding of justification by faith. Here's the difference. They hate those doctrines with all their might. Intellectual understanding of a truth means nothing unless it becomes precious to you. How many times do we see Israel doing the right things and Jesus says, take, or God says, take away your sacrifices. Quit your songs. What I want is a broken and a contrite heart. What I want is to see you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so that is, you're beginning to see why this isn't just another discipline, why it's an essential practice in our life, getting something not just swirling around in our head, not just decoding the Bible and saying, I can explain it. It's not confusing anymore. But taking that truth to where it becomes precious. We don't just want to understand the Bible. We want to know the God of the Bible. We want to walk with, we want to commune with the God that we're reading about. We want to see these promises and understand them, but then see how those promises are sources of life for you. How those truths are, as we saw in Psalm 1, deep roots in the ground by the stream so that when the storm comes, you're not uprooted. And so that no matter the season, your leaves do not wither, you bear fruit. Meditation is how we get there. Philip Spainer says this, 
old uh, right, the generation after the Reformation, wrote a very, very influential book called On Pietism. He says this, you hear the word of God, that is good, but it is not enough that your ears hear it. Do, not let it, uh, do you let it penetrate inwardly into your heart and allow the heavenly food to be digested there so that you get the benefit of it? Vital, uh, benefit of its vitality and power. If you understand justification by faith, that's great. Let me just ask you, do you live as one who knows I am justified by my precious Savior's blood? Do you have a lightness about your step because you know there is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Or can you just quote, quote Romans 8? See the difference between those two. It's good to quote Romans 8. It's good to memorize Romans 8. It is essential to consume and live by the reality of Romans 8. Nothing can separate me from his love. You just see people who look otherworldly, who have actually digested and consumed the truth of God. That's what meditation is all about, getting things from the head to the heart. Tim Keller in his excellent book on prayer, quoting John Owen, he's just summarizing John Owen, the great Puritan, says this, meditation is thinking a truth out, thinking about it, rolling it over in your head, and then thinking a truth in until its ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed upon the heart. You see that? Pressing it into your own soul. So you want to get your information, the, the truth, the understanding from your head to your heart, and then meditation gets it to your heart. And then next, you see, sets your heart on fire. Makes your heart, as John Wesley said, feel strangely warm. Look at Psalm 103. I think this is my favorite psalm. It shifts every time I read through the Psalms, but uh, this has been in first place for quite some time. So notice at the beginning of this psalm, we see this in Psalm 42 as well, the psalmist sits down before God and his soul is cold. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? We saw in Psalm 42, he's in a similar place. He's, he's not talking to God originally, he's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So he's telling his soul to bless the Lord, which means it isn't. His heart is a little cold. And so watch what he does to kind of solve this problem of a cold heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Remember, soul, all the things God has done for you. He's starting to meditate. Forget not, remember, think on, meditate on, chew on, all his benefits. And then look what he does in verse three. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So you see what he's doing. He's not studying. He's not taking in new information. He's taking the information he already knows and he's demanding his heart think on it. He's demanding his heart soak in it. He keeps going. I won't read all those for the sake of time, but skip down to verse, let's see, 20, right after the ellipses there. This is towards the end. So he's been doing this. He keeps on going. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. He just keeps going, washing his salvation over his own soul. In the end of his psalm, he starts commanding the whole cosmos to praise God with him. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So he's he starts off cold talking to himself and he ends hot talking to everything. Angels, the world, anyone who's around him who can hear him, the priests that are around him and then to himself join in this chorus of praising God. You see what he's just done? He's meditating until his heart begins to burn. You could do that. You could do that with the psalm. You could do that with the gospel reality of your life. Do you do that? 
when you wake up and you're tired and God feels a trillion miles away. God feels a trillion miles away to this man. What does he do? He takes the truth, he thinks it out, and then he thinks it in, meditating on it until his heart is set on fire. Thomas Watson, a famous Puritan, the reason we come away from the word so cold is we do not warm ourselves by the fires of meditation. Richard Sibbs, another Puritan, every divine truth has a sweetness and a savor in it, and our souls are to relish in it. If there be not relish in the palate, the relish of meat is to no purpose. If we have not a relish of the divine truths, undoubtedly we know them not as we should. If there's a doctrine you understand but don't love, you haven't understood it properly. It hasn't come to its ultimate end. God does not just want you thinking rightly. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why he makes his, known, his ways known to Moses. That's why he shows up to Moses and says, I'm a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't just want Israel knowing facts about their God. He wants them knowing their God. That's why Jesus comes down and is born in a manger and walks among us and says, I'm gentle and lowly. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He could have beamed down a textbook for that. God comes down so that you can know him, commune with him. And meditation is the way we begin to do that. We think on his word until it hits the way it's meant to, until it stirs your affections and begins to, to bear fruit in worship in your heart. So that's what we're about here. That's what meditation is trying to get at, head to heart and setting your heart on fire. And let me just tell you, uh, as Al said earlier, this is how you change. Right? This, is the, this is the why. And you meditate, period. You don't need this lesson to meditate. Every single one of you meditate, and meditation is how you change. So let me ask, uh, actually, don't respond to this because it might be shaming. Uh, I, I imagine, as we live in maybe the most anxious age of all time, and I don't think that's an exaggeration, uh, we have more resources than ever, and somehow we're, we're so paralyzed uh, with angst and stress. So when you see almost all bad things on the news, when you podcast pastors that only forecast terrible things and just show terrible things from the world in front of you, and you're stressed, you know why? You're meditating. You're just not meditating on Jesus. You're not meditating on the one who says, yeah, the world's going to have great tribulation. They hate me. They're going to hate you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. You're meditating just on the wrong thing. You're practicing bad meditation. Okay, so you'll do it, period. You don't need a lesson to do it. You already do it. That's probably why you're as stressed as you are or as anxious as you are. You're thinking on. You're letting your mind constantly be swirled with just darkness, the darkness of the world, sin without a savior. And so here, what I'm trying to get at, what the scriptures are trying to get at is saying, quit doing that. Do Christian meditation. Notice the man in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is in your notes all over the place. Notice the man in Psalm 1 has two options of meditation. He can meditate with the scoffers. He can sit in their counsel, think over their mocking words and become like them, walk in their ways. Or he can meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. He could be changed to be like the scoffers or he could be changed in having his roots grow deep, fruit being born all the time, no withering, the storms come and the tree bends but it is not uprooted. If you meditate on the things of God, it is how you change. Martin Lloyd-Jones, notice I've got tons of quotes. One of the things I'm trying to show you and having tons of quotes along with scripture is this is totally lost in our day there's no books here on meditation. David Mathis's book is a whole thing, but it's got a chapter on meditation because this has totally been lost. And throughout all of church history, until basically our day, this has been maybe the primary Christian discipline. And it's been totally lost in our day because it doesn't sell well to say, go sit and think alone in the quiet with God. That doesn't sell a whole lot of books. It's not quick fixes. It's not best life now type stuff. And so I'm, I'm littering this with quotes from church history to show you our, our, our heritage up until, you know, I don't know, a couple decades ago, 
This is what they did. This is how they set their eyes on the things of God. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, very famous 20th century pastor, makes this incredible statement in a very British way. Uh, so look at, or look at this. In the Christian life, there are many problems and difficulties. Uh, more and more, it seems to me, or sorry, bits, that should be but. More and more, it seems to me that most of our problems, indeed, if not all of them, arise from the simple fact that we fail to realize, understand, and appreciate what is the real truth about us as Christian people. We read these things, study these things, in the scriptures without meditating on them, so we don't realize that these are not abstract truths, but these are truths about us. And notice this incredible statement. If we did that, our entire lives would be revolutionized. That's the most British way of saying, if you meditated, all your problems would go away and everything about you would change, right? It's an incredible way. Of it. But that's what he's saying. This is how you change. We study and we stop at understanding and we don't think the truth in until our heart begins to melt and how great our Savior's love is. If we did that, our whole lives would be revolutionized. We'd actually look pretty otherworldly. We wouldn't look as stressed as everybody else in the rest of the world. So this is how God actually changes you. It's how your roots grow deep in Psalm 1. Okay, so again, all this is just a way of saying this isn't just another Christian discipline. This is essential to your life. It's not study and if you have time, meditate. I'm saying you have to do this. You have to learn how to do this. Look at Joshua 1, and as you look at the reference, let me ask you another question. So Moses goes, Israel's on the border of the Red Sea. They're about to take the promised land. And before they cross, not Red Sea, Jordan River, before they cross the Jordan River to go actually take the promised land, this thing they've been waiting on for 40 years, the old bad generation has finally died off, the new greatest generation is ready to go take the promised land for God's glory, and God stops Joshua first and wants to talk to him as kind of the new Moses figure. So question, what would you expect God to tell Moses before he goes into the, I mean, sorry, tell Joshua before he goes into the promised land? The book of Joshua, what would you expect? God wants to talk to Joshua before he takes the promised land. What would you expect that conversation to be? That's right, Lee, military advice. I don't know why I took a sip right then. Um, yeah, military advice. That's great. That's, actually, that's what I would expect. It's a war book. Anything else? Yeah, Moses just given the great sermon of Deuteronomy. Hey, don't, hey, remember how Moses was awesome and then messed up and then don't be like that? Yeah, expect something like that. All those things be normal. What does God say? What does God take time to tell Joshua right before they go take the promised land? Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous and then you will have good success. What does God tell the mighty military leader of Israel as they're about to go take the promised land? Meditate. That is not what I would expect. He gives him this lesson. We're about to go invade a country. Okay, let me talk to you about biblical meditation. That's what God does. Do not cease to meditate. As you draw your sword, be the man of Psalm 1. That's God's advice. There's seemingly a lot of other important things he could have said. He doesn't. Because this is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Last quote. Thomas Brooks, another famous Puritan. Meditation is the life and soul of Christianity. It is that which makes you improve on all the truths of the Christian religion. You are but skeletons of Christians without meditation, but or it is as necessary as your daily bread. Okay, so again, you see how the majority of church history has viewed this practice, okay? Uh, so that's what it is and why do it. Next very important question. Okay, 
Jared, you've convinced me that I should do it. Now, what do I meditate on? If it's not nothing, like Eastern religion, what should I actually focus my mind on? What should I fill my mind with if that's what biblical meditation, Christian meditation is? And so I've listed some things here for you. This is not exhaustive. I've I've listed a bunch of them, uh, but uh, this is not exhaustive by any means. First, probably the most obvious, you meditate on God's word. You see that in Psalm 1, on his law, I meditate day and night. We see that in Psalm 119, your precepts are are my meditation, those sorts of things. So this is, I would call this the main diet uh, uh, of meditation. In your quiet time, in your time alone with the Lord, read, study, and meditate, okay? Take something that struck you from that reading or from that study and just set a timer if you need to, just stir it over in your mind, think it out and then think it in. So meditate on the scriptures, day and night, right? That's actually how you begin to combine meditation with other disciplines. If you memorize the scriptures, uh, you can overlap memorizing and meditating beautifully. Get the content in your head in the discipline of memorization and then as you're driving, begin to meditate on it, murmur it, right? That's actually what uh, the word is translated often in the scriptures, just the sort of idea of, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd. You're just trying to soak in it. You could do that day and night when you're not talking to somebody. You could even do it when you're talking to somebody if you're a good mental multitasker, okay? So meditate on the scriptures. That's the, I would say, the, again, the main diet. Uh, just simply, it can be so easily, it, it flows with Bible reading. Again, it's in the Roy map. It's the M in Roy map, okay? Uh, second, meditate on God's works. Meditate on God's works, primarily his works in the gospel of his son. Okay, Psalm, Psalm 77, I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Okay, so to think about the works that God has done, the way that God has done incredible things in the past. And then again, primarily think about what he's done in the gospel. Think about Jesus, the king of the universe, being born in a manger. And just the type of humility, that that Philippians 2 humility, just think about that. The most glorious palace you can ever fathom is a speck of dirt in the eternal heavenly palace. Christ lays all that down so that he can be born in a feeding trough for you. And he goes to the cross. Just just think through, let the gospel wash over you. Think about Jesus' works in the gospel, all that he's done. Again, we see this kind of in the New Testament, thinking about Jesus' works and what that means to your life. Colossians 3, this is what Paul is trying to get the Colossian church to do. If you've been raised with Christ, right? If Christ has gone to the cross and been raised and paid for your sin and he's the first, his resurrection is the first fruits of your resurrection, right? You've died and you're, you've been raised with him. That's the reality of your life. You're seated with him in the heavenly places, all things we see in the scriptures. If that's true of you, Paul says, if that's the true gospel reality, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind on, meditate on, the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. Don't meditate on the things here. Verse three, for, here's why, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Paul's just trying to say, think the way you're meant to. The reality of your life is Jared doesn't, Jared's dead. Jared's life is hidden with Christ in God. So Put your mind up there. Meditate on that gospel reality. When I begin to think about my own wants and will and wishes that are counter to God, I remember meditating on the reality. That guy died. Jared doesn't exist anymore, Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's just saying, meditate on that. That's what's real about you. So meditate on that until you realize that it's real about you. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if we did that, everything about our life would be revolutionized. If you truly believed, as we'll see today, whoever loses life will find it, then you would joyfully do that. If you actually grasp that, you would say, like Paul, the sufferings of this world aren't comparing to the glory that's to come because I've been meditating on the glory that's to come and it's wonderful and it makes the worst persecution here nothing, not even worth comparing. 
Okay, you see that? So meditate on the gospel. We see that again, Paul says similar things in uh, Romans 8 and Philippians 4. Think about the implications of the gospel when Paul's saying, set your minds on or think about. He's, he's a way of saying, meditate on. Again, that's what we see in Psalm uh, 103. All those things are true of that man. He's, he's meditating on the salvation that he already has in covenant with God. He's just letting it wash over him. Here's Anselm of, of Canterbury, a uh, guy in the uh, Christian uh, monk in the uh, Middle Ages. Oh, Christian soul, arouse your mind. Remember your resurrection. Contemplate your redemption and liberation. Consider anew where and what the strength of your salvation is. Spend time meditating upon this strength. Delight in reflecting upon it. Shake off the disinclination. Constrain yourself. Strive with your mind towards this end. Taste the goodness of your Redeemer. Be aflamed with love for your Savior. Chew his words as a honeycomb. Suck out the flavor which is sweeter than honey. Swallow the health-giving sweetness. Chew by thinking. Suck by understanding. Swallow by loving and rejoicing. Rejoice in chewing, a little redundant. Be glad in sucking, delight in swallowing. You see, Middle Ages monk, what's he saying? Think about the unthinkable reality that you will live forever in glory. That is guaranteed. Your life is hidden with Christ and God that must affect every single day you live here until that glorious reality comes. And not just so, don't be scared because it gets better later. In a way that delight swells in your heart. To where when you think of Jesus Christ, when you hear his name pass through your ears, you just feel your soul begin to be stirred. You just begin to taste with the taste buds of faith. This is the sweetest thing I could set my mind on. Allow God to, allow meditation, God through meditation, to sanctify your spiritual palate, if you will. That's what Amsalm is saying. That's the reality of the gospel. Think about those things. That's another thing. His work in history, Psalm uh, 143, I remember the days of old. I will meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. We see over and over again in Israel's history, they're commanded, have this party. Why? To meditate on God delivering you from Egypt. To meditate on God feeding you in the desert when you should not have had any food and you should have all died, Right? That's, that's the reason for these festivals. God's just not a, he loves giving rules because that's just the kind of kill joy that he is. He's constantly trying to get you towards the joyous fellowship with him. So meditate on his works. Think about Genesis 1. Think about all the light I'm seeing right now proceeded from his mouth. Let there be light and there was light. Think about the Red Sea. Put yourself on the shores there with terrified Israel as the most powerful army in the world is coming. And the God of the universe, your father, split the Red Sea. And just think, that's who, that's who I'm praying to right now. That's the God that I know. That's, that's my father. That's who I'm, that's the shepherd watching over me. That's the shepherd with me in the valley of the shadow of death. How much smaller do my problems just get? Right? Think about the works that he's actually done just in history. Even think about something like the Protestant Reformation in the darkest period, second darkest period in church history uh, after the Arian controversy. God just takes a crazy German named Martin Luther and all of a sudden recovers the glorious gospel from the scriptures. God, God's spirit does that. Right? Think about those things. So think about it in history and then think about your own personal lives. Recount, journal if you need to. Be like Israel. Think He's so faithful. I took my little boy. I, I did this accidentally yesterday. I took Harvey to an A&M game. Uh, they made sure they're playing a bad team so that he could see touchdowns. Um, so I took him to an A&M game yesterday. And uh, I was driving through a campus, and I spent a couple seconds at A&M before going to Australia, Blinn uh, College, in College Station, I should say, uh, before going and meeting Claudia. And I just remembered, like, I was driving down these streets. And I don't know if you ever do this. It's kind of like a movie. I'm like... Visualizing, I remember walking down that street with Kendall Edmondson and talking about this, this, and this. And I remember being over here with Brett Metzler and talking about this. And I'm just 
think, I'm almost like feeling these kind of like insecurities that I had back then. It was a decade ago. And just, it was the first year I was a Christian and feeling like, oh man, I want to be in ministry so badly. And just feeling just all these, God just pressing all these things on me and, and just not knowing what the future is like. And then here I am a decade later with my boy. And he's so excited to be there. And how faithful the Lord has been to send me across the world to meet Claudia and to have all these little sweet babies who just give my heart so much joy every day and to have a church to pastor and such wonderful people that care for us. And just, I was just trying to let uh, his faithfulness to me in my history, his, his hand in my life wash over me in a way where I can now look at the future and visualize that same hand that will be there. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age, Right? You see that? Go back in your past to see his hand to send you into the future. Okay, so meditate on his works. Have something. It's one of the reasons why I'm super grateful when we had a little potluck for me being lead pastor. You guys gave me a Robert Ray McShane portrait that hangs in my office. That's like something I look at and I think of McShane, but I also think of you guys. And I think about that event and hopefully a decade from now, that same thing will happen. I'll just be able to think about faithful moments throughout God's history. So just find ways to do that. Again, it's not nostalgia, that's remembering, that's meditation on how good God has been. Go a little bit faster. God's work in creation. So Psalm 8, watch this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? or the son of man that you care for him. We're going to do a whole tech on delighting in God through the beauties of his creation. But notice in Romans, or Romans, uh, Psalm 8, what that guy is doing. He's outside, and he's looking up. You can do that any night. You won't see as many stars as him, but you can see at least star singular, and maybe the moon. Uh, and he's looking up, and what does he begin to do? He begins to meditate. I'm looking at all these things that are just... I'm so small, those are so big, and your fingers hung these here. This beauty that I'm seeing is the work of your hands. And what does his meditation make him do? Who am I that you're mindful of me? You care about little me. Just looking at the stars and considering his God's hand in creation and meditating on it has led him to, who am I? And if we kept reading this whole see, but you've set me over this great creation, right? There's this great worship session that breaks out because the psalmist goes under the stars and thinks about his God, meditates on his God. You could do that. God's worth, we see that in Psalm 145, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. God's character, uh, think about Jesus's gentle and lowliness. Think about your father's mercy and graciousness, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love again. Don't just let those be facts. Press in the character of your God into your heart. He is not just infinitely powerful. He is infinitely powerful and infinitely good and infinitely lovely. The one who can change your circumstances in an instant knows what's best for you and does what's best for you all the time, even if we don't understand Push that into your heart by meditation and see if it doesn't just change how you see the world, change how you see the things that scare you and terrify you. Think about the character of your God. John Owen, uh, who is considered maybe the most brilliant English-speaking theologian, post-Reformation history, uh, and he, at the end of his life, wrote his final book called Meditations and Discourses on the Glory of Christ, where he basically just says the whole Christian life is simply, uh, the core of it is about beholding and gazing at and meditating on the wondrous glories of Jesus. And I love reading the last books that people ever read because when you're, you know you're about to be gone, you're just thinking, kind of like Paul in 2 Timothy, these words matter. I need to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm saying the final things that need to be said and John Owen's final things that he said was, meditate on the glories of who your Savior is. You could buy that book, by the way. I didn't want to give it away uh, because Owen's a little intimidating. 
And then the last one, this, this doesn't follow the cool, God's character, God's work, whatever. Uh, take your feelings into meditation. Take your circumstances of your life, the things that give you angst, into the presence of God and meditate on them in a way where God's truth begins to overwhelm them. Okay, so I have Psalm 77 there for you. Unfortunately, I can't read it, but go back and read this after. Let me just tell you what he does and what so many of the psalmists do. David is hiding in a cave and his enemies are all around him and he's terrified. And his food that he's had for the past couple weeks is his tears. And what does he do with those terrible circumstances? He doesn't pout. He doesn't say, okay, what military strategy can I do to get out of it? He goes to his God and he says, where are you? You told me you would be with me. You told me you were my shepherd. He takes his feelings and he turns them into questions to God. And then he takes his questions and they eventually turn into convictions. And you see so many Psalms in on this great high note of praising God for his wondrous hand. And so when you feel angst, don't just feel angst. Take that to the Lord and say, I'm anxious. Why is it? Am I trying to do what only you can do? Am I trying to control my circumstances? I have no control over my circumstances. You do. You're the one who said, let there be light. You're the one who hung the stars in the sky. You're the one who gives me my, my next day. I have no idea how many days I have left in this world. You do. My times are in your hand. You're in absolute control and you're good, which means it's infinitely better that you're in control than me, even if I were able to be in control, which I'm not. And so I just need to trust you. You've, you've got this. You, you work out everything for my infinite good. And just begin to go into his presence. That's why J.R. Packer said, meditate under the eye of God, in the presence of God. Take those things that make your gut twist before your living God to the open throne of grace and yell at him. I had a professor named Donald Fairburn who would say, the psalmists so expect God to be faithful to his promises that when it seems to them like he's not being faithful, they let him have it. <laughs> the psalmists never demean God's character, but they do say, where are you? It doesn't seem like you're here and you told me you're here. They kind of let him have it. Sometimes they let their own souls have it and then they take that conviction and they say, but what does your truth say? And let that overwhelm my circumstances. Your truth is true. My circumstances lie to me all the time. Okay, so please do that. That will sanctify you like crazy. All the besetting sins that keep rearing their head, the angst, those things that just seem to pin you down, take before your gentle and lowly Savior who is literally telling you, come, let me take that off your back. You see that? So many of the psalmists do that. Let's follow their lead. We'll learn to pray from watching the people pray in the scriptures. Okay, so that's what we meditate on. And then lastly, with our, our last time, uh, how do we do it? Okay, the actual practical. Sorry, I wish we had more time. I printed Psalm 23 at the bottom uh, for us to do an exercise together. I don't think we'll have time for that. But hopefully you can see what I'm about to say and, and apply this uh, at home. This is when your notes get ugly. Uh, if you want, email me, I'll send you a prettier version. If you want, like, I want to take something into my quiet time to meditate on, I'll clean it up for you. But I just wanted to give you a helpful direction, at least a lot of paths that you could go down to, to see uh, what meditation is actually like. Okay, so the general structure, uh, it would just be taking a truth of God, identifying a truth of God, and as Keller said, think it in or think it out. Let it roll around in your mind. See how wonderful it is. Try and just think through all the implications and then think it in. Press it into your heart. Make it personal, if you will. Uh, Richard Baxter, the great Puritan said, imitate to yourself the greatest preacher you've ever heard. Preach that to yourself, that truth to yourself. So that's kind of the general structure, but I'll give you some models here. It's important for you to see these are not formulas. This does not guarantee a result, but these models kind of put you in the path of God's grace put you in the way of God's grace, or as my pastor growing up used to say, puts you under the faucet so that God, when God turns it on, you're at least right there. Okay, so a couple of formulas. First, meditating on the scriptures. This is the, the daily diet I talked about. I'll give you two kind of approaches that you could do. I, I try to practice both of these just different times. Uh, so as you're reading, you read in your Bible reading plan or whatever, read, study, and then something that you, that kind of pricks your heart as you're studying either write down to, to come back to after, ooh, I, okay, I just said this, I'm gonna keep studying and then I'll come back to meditate on that or just linger there. 
Okay, just, just begin to meditate. Pray. Meditation is not easy. You'll, you'll feel some distractions. Your mind will go all over the place. Pray for God's help. Pray for God's, uh, as Paul prays in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to know the wonderful inheritance that you have. Uh, and then, again, just, I know some people that set a timer because they kind of want to just get lost in meditation, thinking about the wonderful things of God. So just set up. 30-minute timer, 15-minute timer, and then when that goes off, they'll move on to application and prayer. So approach number one, I call it just ringing out the truth. Uh, some people just say, emphasize different words of the scriptures, but just look. So Psalm 103, we looked at this, just take one verse, who forgives all your iniquity. Okay, that, that struck me as I was reading through Psalm 103 today. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna think, okay, because of Jesus Christ, because of the reality of the gospel, all of my rebellion is forgiven. Every high-handed sin, every wicked thought has been forgiven. Because of Jesus Christ, all, all, every single one. Jesus didn't just do 70% of it and the other 30% are my good works. All of my rebellion is forgiven. He's forgiven all my iniquity, every bit of it. There is no stains left here. Because of Jesus Christ, all my rebellion has been forgiven. And so now I'm going to begin to think about actually the depths of wickedness. My sins against an infinitely holy God are not light mess-ups. They are infinitely wicked, and I deserve infinite punishment. God would be just to infinitely send me to eternal damnation that would praise his wonderful justice because I deserve it, because I've rebelled against the glorious king of the universe. And yet all that rebellion has been forgiven. Because of Jesus, all my rebellion has been forgiven. And Jesus just hasn't generically papered over the world's cracks. Me, Jared Lawson, Jesus hangs on the cross paying Jared Lawson's debt. Because of Jesus, all my rebellion is forgiven. It's washed clean. God doesn't look at me and say, but don't do it again. He looks at me and there's not one hint of, oh, that messed up one, who at least I pardoned. But he looks at me and he sees me clothed in his son's righteousness. Not only is there not spots here, there is bright shining garments of the king of the universe. That's what's happened. And then lastly, because of Jesus, all my rebellion has been forgiven. You see, I mean, it just happens now. You're just, you see that? I took a sentence. And you're just trying to force your mind to think about the glorious reality of that verse, of that truth. Ring out every word. Be redundant in this. The Puritans, the guys who are mainly quoting, they would write a book this thick on half a verse. They would just bleed it of every ounce of glory. Do that in meditations. That's one approach. Another one is just kind of the classic. Lee talked about this in How to Study the Bible. Asking questions. So what is this? What does this tell me about God? This passage that I just read, what does it tell me about his beauty? What does it tell me about his wonder? What does it tell me about his patience? How can I adore that wonderful character? And then just sit there. Sit on the porch with Jesus, right? And then just begin to think, I know that God. That God knows my name. That's the God I'm going to spend eternity with. That's the God I'm going to gaze at where every single day in eternity will be better than the last because his, his beauty is inexhaustible. And then just, you could pray and just adore him. You could pray and confess sin for not adoring him rightly. You could pray and ask him to set your eyes more on it. You see that? So just ask a question just, you see what I'm saying about rolling the truth around in your brain? Just try to get yourself thinking about God. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about myself, uh, humanity? Right? Where am I thinking wrongly? What does, this tell me? what does this tell me about my own rebellion? Think about that. Just sit there with Jesus. Think about his grace. Repent and, and hear him forgiving you in his word. Right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this tell me about Jesus and the gospel? I'm jumping ahead. What does this tell me uh, about how I should respond? So you see that. Just ask so many questions and just sit and breathe and bask. Think it out and then press it in. Think it in. Make it personal for you. Okay? 
So again, I would, we would do Psalm 23 together. I don't think we'll have time or we won't have time. So that's meditating on the scriptures. That's the daily diet. Do that every day, please. And just see, see if the spirit doesn't begin to warm you. See, see if your heart isn't warmed by the fires of meditation. Meditating on the gospel, I try to do this every day as well. Now, so here's what I typically do. Again, this is just a model. Uh, I think about the big gospel from creation to consummation, creation, fall, redemption, glorification, restoration, consummation, eternity, right? Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And then I just begin to zoom in. So I I think about the big gospel and then I start to plug my life in that story. The God who said, let there be light is my father. The God who said, let there be light before he said, let there be light, said my name and chose me. The God who said, let there be light loved the world and sent his son, my king and my savior and my glorious bridegroom. He knows me. As he says, Mary's name in the garden, he, he knows my name. He's my shepherd. Right? He, 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 I, I know his voice. Right? Just begin to kind of put your life in there and then begin to think about the implications of the gospel. He's forgiven me. He's adopted me. I have the treasures of the world Ephesians tells me, the, the glorious inheritance of the saints I have, I'm seated with them right now in the heavenly places. Again, and just begin to try and press that in. That's just the gospel. You, I mean, you get that in passages, but I, I try and do this as a discipline, but then I, I do the Bible reading part as a discipline. And then I just try and, I'm trying to orient myself at the beginning of the day to live as, a, as the new self, right? In Colossians 3, after that, set your mind on the things above, Paul spends the rest of that chapter saying, therefore, because you've been raised with Christ, put off the old self and put on the new self. That's what I'm trying to do just by meditating on the gospel. I'm trying to align myself with reality and not live as if all this gospel stuff isn't true and just like a nice thing we tell ourselves. But it's true and all the, all the sad, depressing stuff I see during the day is actually what's not true, okay? So I do that, start big, zoom in, and then the feelings. We talked about that uh, a little bit. Let me just give you the steps here. This, this I, I, it's hard to do as a discipline. You could do this, but I just... When you're, you feel the gut twisting, just flee to him. When you feel that angst, if I asked you right now, what are the things weighing you down? You could tell me stuff. I imagine you're not like, I'm just beaming rainbows all the time. I imagine you have things that are just breaking your heart right now. And I imagine you have future things that you're just terrified of. I hope this works out. I don't know if it will. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. You have that. And you could tell it to me, and I would tell you, thank you, I'll be praying for you. Go tell it to God. And so here's what you do. Take your circumstance. Identify that struggle. This is what I think is making my gut twist. I'm just paralyzed by it. I just want to control things, and it's just leading to angst or whatever. Identify it, take it to God, meditate, it on, it, uh, meditate on those things in his presence, as Packer said, under his watchful eye. Uh, let me give a very important clarifier here. Th- this is dangerous if I don't give this clarifier. I'm not talking about morbid introspection. I'm in control, or I'm trying to control because I'm terrible, and you just go down that hole. That's, a very, that's where the devil wants to take you. Okay, the way you look inwardly, uh, everybody knows I love McShane. McShane's mentor was a guy named uh, Thomas Chalmers who taught McShane all the stuff that he loves. Thomas Chalmers says this about this, taking, taking those angsts before the presence of God. He says, if you wish to look well inwardly, look well out. Throw widely open the portals of faith in this. Every light will be admitted into the chambers of experience. The true way to facilitate self-examination is to look believingly outwardly. Or as McShane rephrased it, for every one look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. So as you look at your own angst, don't look here for very long. Look quickly to your Savior. Throw open the windows of faith and let the light flood in so that you see those things rightly. And so that's what step four is. Meditate on how the truth of God speaks into those circumstances, okay? So I'm feeling anxious because I'm trying to control everything. What does the truth of God say? I can control nothing. I can't keep my heart beating. I'm, it is, but I'm not consciously like, okay, beat, 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 right? Uh, I can't do anything. I don't know if I have tomorrow, James says, but 
God is in control of everything. He's my father. He loves me. He knows the numbers of hairs on my head. He sees when I toss at night. My times are in his hand. He's infinitely good. He loves me with a love that surpasses all knowledge in Jesus Christ. All those things are true. And so now I think I can do this. Or at least I can ask him that he would help me do this. And I would walk trusting him and then maybe even resting in him and then maybe even rejoicing in the true reality that I can control nothing but he controls everything and I can trust him because he is all those things. You see that? Take that angst and just let, uh, take that rock on your heart and let the truth of God obliterate that. Just be like a stick of dynamite and explode that off of your heart so that you can actually, again, begin to live in that truth and actually delight in him, okay? So that's biblical meditation. Uh, it is a discipline. It will be hard. You will be distracted. You will need to grow in it. But I think it's absolutely essential. I think it's how we set our hearts on fire and how we change and how we delight in him. We don't just think he's delightful. We genuinely begin to love the Lord our God. We begin to love his sweet words, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So, May we meditate together. Let me pray. And then we're, we're two minutes over, so if you have responsibilities, I'm sorry, uh, you can scoot out. And then maybe a question, a question. I'll give away books. Uh, Father, we love you. I pray that you would help us to do this. Uh, thank you that we can do this, that you are so wonderful that thinking on you only gets better and better, that we have a God who all we have to do is think more about and just your beauty is seen all the more vividly. All the colors are brightened all the more, the more our eyes are lifted. That's reality. And so I pray that you would help us lift our eyes in your son's name. Amen.